My name is Zach Romanoff. I am the president of Omni Food Sales. Omni Food Sales is a food sales and marketing company. We represent different food brands and we act as their representative to the different supermarkets and distributors in the Northeast marketplace of the US. It is a family company. My father founded it um, 27 years ago. And today him and I are partners. I run the day-to-day -day, um, and I'm responsible for all decision-making and, uh, and operations and allocations of time and resources. So I'm gonna take you all back to how my journey started because I basically have a Yukon story and that directly impacted my post Yukon story. Um, it's not a regular story and um, I'll give it to you and you know, hopefully you find something useful from it. My father is a successful entrepreneur. When I was 15 years old, he won the Cranes Entrepreneur of the Year Award um, ahead of other very successful entrepreneurs too. So I grew up around two family businesses. I had a lens that a lot of people did not get to see. You know, my dad came home and he was the boss. I was brought into meetings with insurance carriers and interviews with different trucking carriers and going along on customer meetings and dinners and events. The jobs that I had were, were laborsome. I would get up at three o'clock in the morning, go down to the Hunts Point area of the Bronx, get on a truck and make a delivery of meat to 15 different supermarkets throughout Bronx, Brooklyn, Queens, Harlem, Manhattan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. I learned the, the terrain really well. I picked orders in a refrigerated and frozen warehouse. Uh, I had to wear five layers of clothing, gloves. The pen would freeze, it was so cold, you'd have to write down the weights of the orders, pick them up off the shelves, stack them on a pallet, put them on a truck, do it all over again. So these are the jobs that I had growing up as a, as a teenager and in, you know, in uh, weekends, holidays, and parts of college too. So um, I was on a family trip and met a guy who was at UConn. He was an undergrad at UConn. I think he was a sophomore or junior. He was really cool. And he invited me to come visit him at UConn. I did. He took me to some of the house parties one weekend and, and I loved it. I am a, a sports lover. You know, um, I was addicted. Football, basketball, I watched all the games. I memorized all the stats. So sports became my passion. And um, UConn had a great sport management program in addition to having one of the best basketball programs, men's and women's in the country, and all the other sports that UConn is great at. So I went to UConn coming in my sophomore year. I was looking to expand my horizons and try something new. I moved into North Campus at UConn. And on the first day meeting there, I was really fortunate enough. I met a group of guys that had known each other the year before. They were in the dorms together. And they clicked and they were my kind of guys. And I had a group to do everything with, um, to getting meals, to social, to playing Madden, um, to going out. Joe Cunningham would relentlessly pressure me to pledge the Delta Chi fraternity. And I said, no, I held him off for a while, but I couldn't hold him off for too long. He just kept coming back and I'm glad he did. But I was focused on getting involved on the sports scene. So I went to the UConn, the men's basketball manager at the time, I think I'd only been on campus for a few weeks. So it was the end, middle or end of September, went to Gamble, went to the manager. And I said, hey, I'd, I'd like to be a team manager for the team. I love basketball. My goal was to be a GM of an NBA team. 
I know, pie in the sky, who gets to do that? But that's what I wanted to do. And I was committed to getting myself the experiences to do that. She politely told me, no, thank you, Zach. We're full. You can come back next year. We already have enough managers. And um, there's people that have been waiting a long time to do this. I can put you in line. I said, wow, okay. So all that year, I had to watch the basketball games from the top of Gamble, which I did. But I did join the sports marketing club. And um, that was a chance for me to make a little bit of money. I think I got 30 bucks a game. And I worked at the games. I would throw the shirts into the crowd. I would be on the court doing different contests, bringing people on, and, and did it for football, baseball, all the sports. And that was a lot of fun. And I was putting it on my resume, some relevant experience, so that when applying for the sport management program, I would have some experience or something I could advertise myself with. So the sports, uh, the sports management program told me that if I had above a 3.0 GPA, then I'd have no issue getting in and I had to apply and I would be notified in the spring semester of my sophomore year. So I didn't, I put off pledging. I wasn't going to do that. I was committed to the books, spent a lot of time in the library. My first semester did the sports marketing club, had a, a above a 3.0 GPA. And to my surprise, still didn't get in. Um, the director of the program said, Zach, I'm sorry. We usually have 10 to 12 people apply. We had 40 people apply this time. And sorry, you just didn't make it. And I said, well, what am I supposed to do? I transferred to UConn to be part of this program. This is what I came here for. And she said, well, Zach, there are other colleges that have sports management programs. You can go there or you can, uh, I don't know if it was her who mentioned it or someone else. I think it was a friend actually that said, Zach, you can create your own major. And I said, I said, what? How do you create your own major? That sounds like legend, like legendary, challenging. Like where would I even start? And someone introduced me to the individualized major office. And I met a woman named Dr. Lamb, who became one of my strongest advocates at UConn. Um, I explained my background to her and showed my passion for what I wanted to do. And I basically had to create a course curriculum and explain to UConn, go in front of the board of directors and convince them to create a new major and, and, and show them the importance of it and why it's better than what the offers they have right now. So I created a curriculum that was a combination of classes in the NAG School of Education, Sports Management, in the Communication School and the Business School. I went through the course catalog, I created my own. I had to go to each school and have someone sign up to be my independent advisor in each school. I remember getting on a bus and going and Dr. Burton going through it with me and, and agreeing to, to be my advisor in the sports program. I went in front of the board of directors. I, I stated my case and thankfully they approved me. They approved the major. So I was able to take the majority of the classes I wanted in sports management, um, albeit I had to go around a different route. I didn't have, I wasn't a core student like some other students were. So in the spring semester, I had my new major in, in hand and I pledged Delta Chi. And that was a great experience for me. Delta Chi, of course, was a lot of fun. There are perks to being part of a fraternity on campus. I went to UConn not thinking I was gonna join a fraternity, but like I said, Joe Cunningham was relentless. He, was, uh, he introduced me to people of all ages around campus and he was just, he was just a great guy down to earth. Um, so I was really glad I pledged. Pledging was a, a wild experience 
and it really uh, challenged me physically and emotionally. I don't believe Delta Chi is part of UConn anymore, but it treated me, it, it showed me a lot about diversity. My pledge class had um, Dominican, Asian, white, um, in the fraternity, there was every nationality. And me, you know, I'd always been pretty easygoing. I didn't, uh, I just wanted to get along. Like I said, I was just looking for a community. So I had friends on all sides of the spectrum. I had friends that I had different, did different things with. And uh, pledging fraternity brought out the best in me. It challenged me, it forced me to, you know, get up and do fun runs at three o'clock in the morning and go run stairs at the stadium when other people were sleeping. It made me appreciate the simple things that I had. So um, that was a great experience. So junior year comes around. I go back to the men's basketball manager. And I say, hey, I'd love to be a manager. You know, I came back, like you said, can I volunteer? Zach, I'm sorry. You just can't do it. We just don't need you. We have enough already. And I was like, but I did just what you said. It's like the first week of school. Like, you don't need me, really? She's like, I'm sorry, Zach. There's nothing I can do. So I went back to my dorm, and at that time, <clears throat> I was living in Carriage House Drive, which was the wildest year of my life. The things that I saw that I would come home some nights and see crowds in the hundreds in the front yard. It was just uh, wild, to say the least. But I came home, and I sent emails to every coach on the men's and women's staff. It was, uh, you know, 20 or 30 emails personalized for each person. One coach wrote me back. It was Pat Sellers of the Benz team. And he said, Zach, come on down to the office. Let's talk. So I went down to the office and I explained to him how passionate I was, how I would do anything. I'd be the first one, the last one, everything in between. He said, Zach, anyone is passionate about you. We're going to find a place for you on this team. So I loved being a manager for practice. At the time, UConn was ranked, I think, number one. There were a handful of guys that got drafted. And I was around all of them. I became friends with them. I filmed practice. I was on court with Coach Calhoun. I got to see his leadership skills up front. Um, it was an awesome experience. So I, I finally got to do that, and I was really happy for that. And also in my junior year, I applied for an internship with the New York Knicks. I uh, got the interview, went down to uh, MSG, the Knicks training facility, and I remember being so nervous I thought, here, this is it. I'm, this is my bridge into my dream job. I'm going to get in. And I was so nervous, I froze up. I locked up. My face was straight, shut, no smiling, no nothing. And in the interview with the manager, at the end, he told me, he said, Zach, you should smile more. And it's crazy because that happened over 15 years ago. And it's something I still tell myself to this day. Zach, smile more. You know, smile. Don't get so tight. So I took that with me and it's still with me now. Um, so I didn't get that, but I did stay with the sports marketing club, continue to work at those events, work, work my way up, was on the floor, Midnight Madness. So I had to wait another year to my senior year to actually go back and interview with MSG again. I was fortunate enough to go. And not only did I get offered the Knicks internship this time, but I was offered the director of ops internship with the New York Liberty. And Madison Square Garden said, Zach, we strongly recommend you go with the Liberty. With the Knicks, they're out of season. Um, you'll be doing like personal things for players. With the Liberty, you'll be watching film, you'll be at games, you'll be in meetings with the coaching staff. So if this is the route that you wanna to go towards being a GM of a team, we strongly, rec strongly recommend it. 
So I went that route and, and had a, an awesome time. I loved what I was doing. I was watching three games of film, breaking it down on DVDs for the coaching staff. I was at all the games. I was all, all the practices. And I learned a lot there about players. I saw how coaches would spend hours breaking down game film and um, players would go out drinking the night before and then a team would lose and the coach would then be blamed for that and they would lose jobs for that. I would see coaches come back from a game, sleep at the practice facility and then watch more game film to pick up the smallest nuances that you would ever imagine. Um, you know, if you would pat a ball and then dribble two times. These were the kinds of things that they would pick up. So that internship kind of taught me, kind of pushed me away from wanting to be a GM of a team and went back to UConn in uh, my senior year and I wanted to be on TV. The show, uh, Pardon the Interruption, I created a show along with my friend Todd called State Your Case and it was wildly popular. It went on TV, was on UCTV three times a day. People all around campus uh, knew me and it was a lot of fun. I sent the tapes to ESPN. I interviewed at ESPN and they told me I was too aggressive. But the other departments in sales and marketing said, you could be in a position here, but you're gonna outgrow this in two years. We want someone that could be here for five years. The last part I wanted to pivot to was becoming a sports agent. I was friends with a lot of the players and, and I developed that route. I actually started my own sports agency and recruited and signed players. Um, I had my, the rugs swept out from underneath me a few times with some deals that I had set up with some teams internationally and other agents came in and sent money to the player's family and that player decided not to take my deal. So again, I had some, some opportunities that, that kind of showed me away from the sports field and how hard it really was. So one of my family's businesses is Omni Food Sales. So I came in when I was 23 years old and I was learning from someone else who taught me the ropes. Um, a former butcher named Jimmy Aiello. And here I am going on sales calls, shadowing him, learning the trade, the different supermarket buyers, the different um, retailers and everything that comes with that. And the food industry is really old. There's not a lot of young people in it. So I was by far the youngest person on all the meetings and, and places that I went to. So four years in and he was forced into retirement. And I liked what Jimmy did. He went on different accounts. He called on different people. I like that pace. I've always liked people. I've always been comfortable. So that's where I went. So I was in my mid to late twenties and I was all of a sudden in charge of a million dollar business. And I made real mistakes. I made $50,000 mistakes, $100,000 mistakes that I learned, you know, not to push people too far. Um, I also had to Re recruit, hire, and train a whole team. Omni is a company of 25 people and my father's team had all retired and moved on. I had to recruit and bring in all new people. So I did that over the course of a few years. You could have all the best interviewing skills in the world. There are people that, are, that interview really well, 
But when it comes time to people going out and doing the actual job, they had a hard time getting in their car and going where they said they were going. I just put my head down and said, there's got to be a way and I've got to keep going. And I just kept doing the right thing. I kept trying. And at a certain point, you just have to believe that things will happen and uh, good things will happen to good people. So I just kept putting one foot in front of the other, even when things would happen that would make me feel like I had a knot in my stomach. So the road continued um, and slowly but surely um, things came to me. So one day I was, I'd always stayed in touch with UConn. They had these emails. There was a webinar and a man named Kevin McMahon was teaching a webinar, I think on resume writing. And I just needed some help. I just needed some talk. So I reached out to him and he said, yeah, send me your resume. And I said, I don't need resume writing. I just need to talk to someone. So we spoke and I told him, gave him my whole story and he became my career coach. He became a big fan of mine, an advocate of mine. He would challenge me. He would keep me engaged. And even when I thought I did something awesome and thought I should gloat, he said, no, go do something else. What's next? Go do more. He also introduced me to Gary Vaynerchuk. And I consumed a lot of his content really for a period of two and a half years. I'd say I was pretty much addicted. Um, him, Andy Frisella, and other guys. And I read the book, Crush It. And the book, Crush It, literally put the light bulb in my head. Here I am in this old industry, the food industry. It's notoriously behind the times in terms of marketing and using technology. I said, how am I going to use this? The light went on my head. I began posting regularly on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn about my day-to-day -day life at Omni Food Sales, presenting a product to a retailer going into a supermarket store, doing competitive analysis, the seasonality of certain items. And I wouldn't give away secrets, but I would just share what's going on. In, in 2016 was when I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to create a long form video to talk about what Omni did. It took me about a year until I was able to do that because I had to run Omni. So it literally took me 11 months before I could put out the long form video that I wanted to put out. And that's called What is the Network? And that's online now. And I put that out specifically targeting people in the food industry. Um, it's on YouTube. Icons are born here. Tastes are defined here. Style and culture start here. For great ideas, New York will find you. And she'll tell all her friends about you. The line of companies who want to do business in New York is long and moves slowly. And maybe you think, I already have all the business in New York. Maybe you think you have it all covered. But there's more. Much more. New York has the largest number of independently owned supermarkets in the entire country. There's more than a thousand stores in the Metro New York market that you're not even touching. And that's money left on the table. A lot of money. Selling into the network is not a one, 
two, or even three-person job. It never was. It takes a sharp team of dedicated, hand-selected specialists with years of experience to tap into it. At Omni Food Sales, we have that team. We know what it takes to succeed here because we're a trusted partner, and we've been doing it every day for over 20 years. We have strong relationships and standing appointments with all 30 accounts in the network. When you work with us, our job is to guide you in preparing for and securing those appointments. I'm Zach Romanoff with Omni Food Sales, and we've cracked this code. This is the new Metro New York market. Let's get those appointments. And together, we'll close more business in the Metro New York market than you ever thought possible. So ask yourself, do you want in? It has maybe 600 views, but in my industry, that's a lot. And I did it and I emailed it specifically to the decision makers in my industry. And it had a big effect. Within three months, I was hired by three new manufacturers. I had people that wanted to work with Omni. And a few months after that is when things got fun. Things I didn't even expect to happen, happened. The first thing that happened was the Korean government reached out to me on LinkedIn. And they asked me to give a speech to a group of the 50 largest food exporters from Korea about how to do business in America. So that was on, in, on Labor Day at the Trump Soho building in Manhattan. And um, it was my first real speech, my first public speaking opportunity. I was so nervous for it. I don't know how it was going to go. There was cameras everywhere. We were in the Trump building. It was really nice but I felt alive. I felt in place. There were three other speakers. The other guys were looking off their, the PowerPoint chart. They weren't sure what they were gonna say. I got up there, I didn't look at the screen once. All the information that I had compiled from just doing the right thing year over year, all those hard times, it came so naturally and it just rolled out. And after that meeting, every company lined up and asked Omni to represent them. And I was floored, I was shocked. So that led to opportunities. A few months after that, iHeartRadio reached out to me, again, through LinkedIn. They asked me to come down to the studio. I got a tour. The Breakfast Club had just gotten out. These guys in suits were giving me a tour around like they were trying to sell me something. But they were. They were trying to put branded content all throughout um, iHeart's channels, Z100, 1035, other channels but they wanted me to pay for part of it. And I didn't agree with that because at that point I wanted everything to be natural. So <clears throat> I turned that opportunity down, but have been in touch with those guys and I've done some work with iHeart and some of our brands. So that opportunity is there. Um, so that was 2017. I went all of 2018 and half of 2019 until someone reached out to me to speak again next. Um, this was a delegation from the UK, the delegation from the UK, similar to the Korean one, about two dozen manufacturers in a boardroom in New York ahead of the fancy food show in Manhattan. I gave a speech again, but only this time I was stronger and hungrier because I was dying for this opportunity. I loved what I did at the K food fair. I couldn't wait for this chance. I did it again. I recorded the talk, put it online. That led to being invited to another talk. This was now part of a panel, which led to another talk being on a panel. And each one that I'm doing, I'm gaining notoriety with people in the industry. 
and word of mouth is spreading. My network was growing so much so that someone watched my talk in October on a panel, sent the link to someone, to a professor at St. Joseph's University. And that's like the Harvard of the food industry. And last December, I, I taught a class on brand advocacy, which is a term that I coined to more accurately describe Omni's role. Before that, we had been uh, designated as brokers, like real estate broker, stock broker, food broker. But food broker didn't make sense at all. It didn't accurately describe the role that we played. I did that talk and, and it's basically been a continuous snowfall where I've been, I am being asked by people that I don't even know or word of mouth is spreading and I'm getting more and more opportunities. I just want to say, I'm against the use of these terms for age programs. Baby boomers, millennials, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z. I just feel like it's an opportunity for the older generation to kind of shit on the generation. <laughs> we are brokering deals every day of the year. I have buyers that call me every week, every day. And if I'm not on my game, or if I'm not giving support to them, or keeping things tight between the manufacturer and the retailer, they are taking that business elsewhere. There are some people that are really comfortable at the top and can really talk a good game. And there are some people that are really good workers that are good in the bunkers. I'm a combination of both. These are things that, that we can improve the overall store shopping experience by reinvesting and reallocating and changing the way we manage the stores. There's been more change in the supermarket industry in the last five years than there's been in the last 25 years. Right? That means there was a way of doing business that a lot of people my senior that I compete with are used to doing and that used to be successful. That is not the case anymore. I just had one this last week. Um, I had one on my birthday, the New Jersey Food Processors, Processors Association in July. I just had one with uh, the Food Institute this week, and I have two more invitations for November. What I found is there is a huge demand for online content that's relevant in the food industry. And everything that I put out in my posts, I don't worry about the views, the likes, the clicks. I worry about who's getting value from it. And people have been getting value from it. And um, the road has been, has been really continuous. Set up some time to chat. Okay. Definitely. All right. Nice to meet you. That's a fast game. Everyone's looking to And then it hit me. I was like, I had been in meetings too where other people referred to brokers as lazy, disloyal, dishonest. And I said, shoot, like, there's a real misperception about brokers in the industry. And I'm like, this is not me. You know, when I'm your representative, you hear from me every week. I don't ever not respond to an email or a phone call. So I don't want to be labeled like these other, you know, there was an older generation that had all the business. I said, I shouldn't be labeled like them. 
you know, a stockbroker, mortgage broker, these guys produce single transactions. And then after that, you really don't need them. The food business is not like that at all. Um, I came up with the phrase because I thought of what I want to be referenced as is basically an attorney representing their client in court. Whether that person is right or wrong, most times the common individual has no idea the, the details of the law. You need that attorney to be your advocate, your, your strongest supporter. Whether it's right or wrong, they're going to guide you down the right path. And I said, that's exactly what Omni does, and that's exactly what I want to be viewed as. So I labeled myself the brand advocate. I you know, branded it on all my social channels, and people in the industry love it because there was such a negative stigma. And now all of a sudden, here comes this guy who is breaking the glass and saying, I'm not like everybody else. I'm actually going to be in the, in the foxhole with you. So there's been a great response to it, and, and that's how I initially created it. Are you interested in sharing that, um, the video that you mentioned earlier? <laughs> yes. Can you see this? Yes. So this was the show, and I'm not going to bore you through all of it, but we would banter back and forth about today's hot sports topics. marketing strategy or what's my uh my go-to well that's a great question I actually have you're going to see these questions in a little bit the number one thing is you guys got to understand you have such an advantage coming up right now living in 2020 with what's going on when I graduated which was 2007 Facebook had just started two years ago you know the internet and all the social media platforms were non-existent you guys all have a chance today to create digital footprints that my generation, and we're part of the same generation, we're only 15 years apart, that we didn't have. You know, you have a chance to have a LinkedIn profile, 
a Facebook, a YouTube, a Twitter, and all these things where you could begin to document yourself as an expert. So my strategy, and it has changed because right now there's a lot of stuff out there. There's a lot of noise. Everyone is posting, everyone is putting stuff out. So I actually have a new strategy and I only put things out if it shows me as an expert in the food industry. That is my go-to. I generally post, I have the best ROI on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Like I said, people that I don't even know find me on LinkedIn. You know, my, my whole vision and dream has changed because where I wanted to just get more principles for Omni, now I have that. And now I'm interviewing with the biggest and the best brands. And, and now I'm seeing that there is no one in this lane. There's no one doing what I'm doing, older or younger. There's no brokers that made what is the network video. So no, um, you know, I'm really glad that I had the experience that I had because now I could be in the food industry and go 100 miles an hour and I'm not looking over my shoulder wondering what if. I truly believe that regret is the worst thing in the world. You do not want to look back in your life and wonder, what if I tried this? What if I tried that? I shared my story with you guys, and I spent more time sharing my Yukon story with you than on my professional story purposely because I wanted you to see that I had to pivot four times. And, it, and you may have to pivot more than that. But you may be lucky and not have to pivot as much as that. There's nothing wrong with that. There's people with degrees in one field that become experts in complete other fields. So I'm sharing this for you because I want you to take this and, uh, and use the tools you have available to you. Because if I had them when I was your age, I feel like I would be at an advantage. You know, the people in your shoes now that are gonna create a real digital footprint, when you go in for that interview and you guys, are, you guys know how competitive it is out there, it's more competitive now than it was when I was coming out. It's even more competitive. Everyone is so qualified now. What's going to make the difference? How committed you are? What kind of commitment do you show with your digital footprint? The TV is dead. The TV is there and it's still, it's still on, but people aren't watching it. Recruiters, employers, companies, brands, decision makers. It's all right here. Whoop, it's cut out, but it's all on this phone. Everything is there. So you've got to make yourself easily accessible. You've got to put yourself out there so that people can find you. You may try day and night to go after that one dream job and you're just not going to get it. Put enough of your information out there. Put your resume out there. Put your curricul extracurriculars out there. Create a video. Create your own YouTube video. For whatever field you feel like being an expert in, put it out there. Email it to 100 people. If one person opens it, it only takes one person for you to get a business opportunity. But put yourself out there. Don't be ashamed, don't be shy. But I was scared because no one else did it. And when you put yourself out there at first, everyone's first reaction is, what's he doing? Why is he trying to put attention on himself for this? Does he think he's cool? He's trying to show himself off, he's trying to brag. But guess what? There are people that really find value when you put value out there. Don't just post to post. If you put out weak posts, people are gonna unfollow you and they won't trust you. If you only put out strong content, people are gonna say, you know what? When he posts, I'm gonna follow. Or when she puts up a video, I'm gonna watch. I may watch it when I get home, 
but I'm going to watch it. Um, from your perspective now as a president of a large company, do you still think that contacting people directly like via email is an effective way to gain opportunities? And also similarly, how do you stand out when there are so many other people with, with more experience? Yes, it's totally okay to email people. Um, I get a lot of emails all the time. People are busy. So you just got to be creative and get to the point. Show what you can uh, bring to that person and show why you're committed. And the way that you differentiate yourself is the digital footprint. You create a portfolio. Do you realize that literally when I started the Brand Advocate podcast, I just sat down with people that I met with, recorded the video and put it online. Just thinking someone might get something from this. And it did. It's people that I didn't even think were watching, were watching. You don't know who is interested in you. You and I may have a... a tunnel vision as to what we think is successful and what's going to work, but you never know what else is, is out there for you. My, my dream is totally shifted and changed. I'm so content with the, feel, the path that I'm on because it grows every day. I meet new people every day. I've got people that, uh, that want to work with me now. I have like a surplus of people that want to work with Omni because they've seen the stuff online from putting myself out there. Again, not things that I in initially intended to get. But when you're in that starting phase and you're looking to get people's attention, why don't you uh, label yourself as an expert? Put your own YouTube videos out, have all your own channels and put out your own tips showing you what you know about that field that is relevant. So you could email that person that's not responding to you and say, hey, Susie, you know, you're the director of this great company. I want you to check out this quick two minute video I made about you know, whatever industry that excites you, get to the point, make it easy. So all you have to do is click. And now they're looking at you and nine out of 10 other people will not do that work. I just realized that there was um, a question I didn't answer. I have a framed photo of me and this player being pulled away by the other agent, the photo taken by this player's sister because the other agent was so threatened of me. I framed the photo. It's literally of the player being pulled away by the other agent while I was there. And the impact that I had as a 21 year old kid, one of the brands that hired Omni was looking to hire a brand ambassador. And that agency, I brokered a meeting at my office where that agency came to pitch their clients to my client. And they were basically kissing my butt because I brought them into that meeting. So it was nice to have a little reversal of roles there to go full circle. But um, I just say that story because there's value in doing the right thing time after time. Even when people wrong you and you think I should get this person back, don't do it. Karma exists. Karma will get them. The just from doing the right thing step over step, I'm expanding to a new market. I give you all that lesson so you know, you know, he who seeks revenge digs two graves, yours and the other person. Don't do it let other people hang themselves. So with that being said, yes, I would love to hear what the groups have to say about the questions. Awesome, thank you for that additional input. Um, so is there any group that would like to go first and maybe share um, one or two themes from your group conversation? Yeah, I'm, gl I'm glad you guys uh, came with that. You know, there, there are tools that are available to you. You know, this time that we're living in is a time that's gonna be written about in history books when we are all old and, and not in our primes, 
similar to the industrial revolution, this is going to be written as the technological or app revolution. I don't know what you call it, but you've got Tesla revolutionizing the car industry, Airbnb uprooted the hotel industry, all the apps, um, Uber with the taxi industry, and, and just the use of all the social media apps was not here 10 years ago. It's all coming to a head now. And you guys are at, are at the birth of this. So these, this becomes the new norm, you know, the new using everything that's available to you. Not to devalue anyone's education, but once you get into the working world, you learn that you can learn the skills that are relevant to certain jobs. And just because you have a degree in one thing, it doesn't limit you to anything else. And there are people that make changes at 45, at 55, you know, not just in their 20s or 30s. That is totally okay and that's normal. It's not about, it's not about knowing what you wanna do. It's about when you do identify what you wanna do that you apply yourself 100%. For some people that happens at 19, for some people that happens at 35 and anywhere in between. I feel uh, so bad for young kids now with so much pressure to perform right away. And I told you, I have anxiety. I mean, I couldn't sit still in college. I literally had fear of missing out on everything. I had to be everywhere at the same time. If the fraternity was doing an event and the basketball team had an event and my friends had an event, I found a way to stretch myself and do everything. But I, I probably should have slowed down a little bit to enjoy. So, it, you know, that's why I talk about self-education and reading books. There are such valuable resources out there by reading books from people, they literally give you their whole life story, like people at the top. Like another one is called, I Feel Great and You Will Too by Pat Croce. And literally this was a guy that had gotten kicked out of college, was you know arrested multiple times, terrible behavior, was fighting, was a motorcycle daredevil, turned into a multimillionaire who owned the Philadelphia 76ers of the NBA. His story is phenomenal. <clears throat> there are other stories too. Um, the chairman of Starbucks, Howard Schultz, has a book. Also awesome, highly recommend. Phil Knight from Nike has a book called Shoe Dog. When you read stories of people that have become successful leaders of companies, you will be surprised at how many of them, A, didn't go to college, B, quit college, and C, had a series of low-rung jobs before they hit it big. So the worst thing you want to do is let the pressure of friends and family um, kind of force you to do something that you don't want to do immediately after school, because that's how you get stuck into a career path that you may ultimately resent. You have to satisfy yourself. No one's going to give you a gift. No one's going to ask you if you're really happy with what you're doing. You've got to be your own biggest advocate, but you do what's best for you because no one else is going to do that for you. A picture's worth a thousand words, then a video's worth 10,000 words. You know what I mean? You can only show so much in one photo. In a video, you can put yourself out there and show so much breadth and depth of who you are and what you can value. And someone can make a determination. I want to work with her. Yes, I like what she said. Let's call her up. And you know, the brain, we are wired to be defensive. We're always on guard. We, we, we wanna be safe. And we wanna see people that are not going to hurt us. When you put yourself in a video and talk for an extended period of time, 
people can tell, you know, all right, this person is not going to hurt me and they're bringing value. So yeah, you know, there, there's huge value in YouTube. The baby boomers and us where, you know, people that are 35, by and large, I'm young for being in a, a president's role because it's a family business. Most people are not. It's going to take another five to 10 years. You still have baby boomers that are starting to retire now, going to retire in the next five to 10 years. These people don't embrace everything we talked about in this call. I don't like LinkedIn messaging because not everyone follows it. Not everyone responds to it. Not everyone checks it. So if you could, and here's where you got to become a little bit of a stalker at times and get creative, figure out their name, figure out their company. Sometimes people list their work address or their personal address, call the company and say, you know, Leon Rose and, you know, ask how you get this. Oh, you know, I need his email address. I like sending real emails because, you know, I do respond on LinkedIn, but it's a, uh, I don't check it as frequently and it's a little bit harder to respond. There's, I, I can only control what I can control. And you can only put your hand out so many times. And if other people don't put it back in return, you stop putting it out. And, and that's what I've had to do. I've told myself this mantra. I don't need perfect. I need possible. I'm an extremely resourceful person. I would say you need to expose yourselves to experiences that will show you what you like and do not like. Like I was so set in stone and going the sports route until I served the internships and started my own company as an agent and started State Your Case. And I realized, you know, all that glitters ain't gold. So sometimes you learn more from doing things that you don't even like, but you kind of get some experience. So I would not put stuff out there just to put stuff out there. Because like I said, there's a lot of noise out there. If you are fortunate and lucky enough to get one person to watch one of your pieces of content, you need to captivate them when you have them or else they won't come back. So don't put anything out until you know what the purpose is and what the goal is. And, and it's okay to not have that right now. Yes, I hope you found value from this. Um, I'm a big fan of each one, teach one. I'm 15 years out from UConn, 15 years from today, I hope all of you come back to UConn and give to the students that come after you because that's what it's all about, giving for the people that come after us. Awesome. I think that's a perfect way, way to end it. Thank you so much again, everyone. It was really nice to meet you all and have a great rest of your evening. Bye, everybody.